Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. T-minus four days, people. Deer season kicks off here in the great state of Iowa, the Whitetail State, in four days. I can't believe it. I can't I can't even, like, wrap my head around how fast time has passed since the end of last season, which might sound crazy because usually people complain about, you know, the good things in life take seem to take forever to get here. But deer season is here and i can't believe it we're we're gonna i'll be in a you know i'll be out with my bow in four days that's right i'm gonna hunt opening opening day this season in fact i just got off the phone with uh good old caleb uh caleb drake of course you know him from this show a uh regular uh co-host or part of hunt therapy and all that here recently we were talking we're you know like how do you decide on a buck if you have a chance to shoot a buck on opening day what are the you know in your mind what is the checklist for what you know you'd be willing to essentially give up the rest of your archery season uh to tag this buck what would those parameters be and so here's the three things that i suggested and caleb agreed with uh, number one, you might be hunting a buck that uh, you've got some history with. Maybe you've got them patterned really well, and uh, the conditions just line up to where it's like, "Yep, today is the day." And uh, you know, you you're you're getting in there right away because you want that specific buck bad, and things are lining up for you the next thing would be if you were hunting an area that was just cool like you know it, it ups the challenge in some way maybe you're hunting public land and all you've ever shot are uh um private land bucks and so you want to kind of see how you do with a little bit extra competition and then all of a sudden boom here's a buck or maybe you're hunting in an area that's just got a low deer density or a low buck density and uh you're you're trying to you know figure figure out a place like that you know that would be another good reason i said to to shoot a buck on opening day and then the third reason and my favorite reason just because you like it you see it and you're like man i just really like that buck because i think that's how hunting should be on either day one or day last you see a buck that you like go ahead and take it so those are my three that's kind of my three things that i'm gonna you know be keeping in mind when i hunt opening day this year and uh for whatever reason though maybe you're one of those guys like nope i don't even go out on opening day that's fine too i've definitely done that before but i will say this uh there was a there was uh back in 2020 yeah it would have been deer season 2020 there was a guy in, from my old stomping grounds in illinois who arrowed i think it ended up scoring 233 inch and some change buck on 
his first sit of the season. It was opening day morning, and uh, he had that opportunity. So you never know what could present itself uh, during these earliest days of the deer season, but you certainly won't get to have any crazy stories if you never get out and have them. So I suggest trying to get out there. May, maybe lay off some of your best stands or whatever. Don't put any unnecessary pressure on during these times of the year because in most cases they are a little bit tougher to, you know, tougher odds for getting a daylight opportunity on a buck during this time of year. But um, maybe go somewhere and do the whole Cole Young observation stand method. And you're just trying to gather intel. Maybe you're uh, wanting to get out and see if you can shoot a doe and then um, load up the old uh, meat wagon for winter. Whatever it is, do what makes you just keep coming back for deer hunting season after season and enjoy the kickoff that is here which is a great time to promote the presenting sponsor for the podcast take spartan forge into the woods with you or at least be looking at spartan forge from the comfort of your couch when you're deciding whether or not you are going to go after it during opening weekend you can look at the deer behavior prediction on there and see what makes the most sense based on deer movement or you can just use the mapping to maybe find a new public spot and go and and see uh if you can uh put yourself into a challenging circumstance and uh get a arrow launched at a buck there or good place to find a doe whatever it is take spartan forge with you there's not a like easier way to just improve your hunting intel than by subscribing to spartan forge so make sure you do that you can find a link for that in the show notes in this episode or even in the link tree on my profile both of those are uh, and by my profile i mean on instagram both of those are great places to get connected with spartan forge and uh as far as this episode well we're definitely gonna we're definitely gonna talk a little bit about our excitement with hunting, you know, which fits for this uh, uh, opening uh, of deer season here in Iowa and uh, pretty much everywhere else that isn't already open. Um, but also, uh, we're gonna just talk about what it's like to hunt in Colorado. And so I'm joined by David Rhodes of Back Roads Outdoors uh, on on this episode just to learn all about what he does out there in the great state of Colorado, the great hunting state of Colorado. And uh, we're going to talk elk. We're going to talk mule deer a little bit. We're going to talk bear hunting, which I'm very excited about. And of course, we're going to talk sheds, but we're also going to talk fitness and, uh, you know, how can you still dominate the mountain even when you don't necessarily fit the physique of those uh, skinny guys that can, uh, you know, that weigh 145 pounds and can walk and run forever? How do you hit the woods when you're uh, from the Clydesdale division, when you're a hoss? How do you how do you uh, conquer the mountain in that way? And so David's going to talk all about that. We hope you hang around for it. again. Check out Spartan Forge, the presenting sponsor of this podcast, and let's now roll into it. Here, episode number ninety six on the First Gen Hunter Podcast. As always, I love you and thank you for tuning in. 
social media is an easy target for blaming all of our societal ills. Um, I'm guilty of it. I imagine you listening into this, maybe even David, the guy on the other end of the line right now, could be guilty of this. You know, it's just like something you can say in passing. Oh, social media. But, you know, that's not really fair because, yes, social media probably has poured a lot of gas on the simmering fires that already existed but that's the key those fires already existed right they are they reveal some of the problems that were either kept quiet or swept under the rug and so for maybe that sense yeah social media deserves some blame but there's also a lot of good that comes out of social media and in fact uh, maybe if you're so hung up on the negative side maybe it's not for you But if you're like me, you've weighed your options, you've looked at the good and the bad, and you still have profiles that you manage. (laughs) That's, that's That's where I sit, and that's where the guy on the other end of the line sits. And I say that because that's how we came across each other. There's good things that can come out of social media still. And uh, many of the guests that I've had on this podcast through the years have come from uh, meeting them through Instagram, following their story on Instagram, seeing all the cool stuff they post. Alex Gruen, one of the guys who has hosted countless episodes of this podcast, a key member of this podcast, a sponsor of this podcast, met him through social media. So, I want to celebrate that a little bit here, but also I'm pretty giddy over this interview because David is a guy that I've, like I said, I've followed for a while. Now. I, I got to think David, man, it just seems like I've been following you forever. I did. I never had Instagram until I started the podcast. In fact, I used to always, you know, people like you should get an Instagram and I'd be like, no, not going to happen. And then I started the podcast like, wow, I probably should have an Instagram. All the people doing podcasts have Instagrams. And I think that man i think i've been following you and likewise because you're a nice guy you follow back uh probably since pretty close to the beginning i think for probably a couple years i've been watching your your content i've always enjoyed it and uh i think uh tonight after we get to interview david get to know him better uh you're probably going to want to go over there and follow him as well we're definitely going to get you that information um but you know what david let's just hit the ground running here we need a good hunting story what is your let's see here your favorite shareable hunting story or maybe just the first one that pops in your mind that you think is going to be like something that's really going to captivate the audience here well, I, I, I got to go with my uh, my archery elk uh, hunt from, I believe it's three years ago now, uh, when I killed my uh, archery bull. And uh, awesome. it was, yeah, it was, it was, that was my first, uh, my first bull with my bow. And uh, it was a long time coming. It was uh, a lot of grinding in the woods, man. A lot of unsuccessful seasons before it happened, but uh, that's that's a whole nother uh, story. So I'll just get into the, to the, the actual story of killing the bull. So, uh, like I said, it had been several years and, uh, a lot of years that I'd been, been hunting and it was Labor Day weekend. I believe it was actually Labor Day and September 2nd. So it was early in the season, man. I think that year season, uh, may have started like, uh, I don't want to say maybe like, uh, 
right right at the end of August. I think we were like three days in, something like that. Can I I interrupt you just for a second here? Because this brings up a question that I've always had about you fortunate souls that live out West. So, you know, when a guy from Iowa goes to hunt out West, it's like, man, we're setting aside a week, maybe two weeks. And that's all you're doing every day. But for you guys, you're like, you're like meshing this into your regular life. Right. So, so is it pretty much like during elk season because you know it's it's not the same thing i gotta imagine for most people it's not like here where i live on the farm where i hunt whitetails you know after work i can i can go slip out to the tree stand for a couple of hours and and you know no big deal i I mean i gotta think that you guys gotta be like all right i gotta have a day off where you know i could load up the truck drive to the truck you know, the trailhead, which could be like an hour away or something like that to get to where elk are at. I mean, how does that like balance with, uh, your regular life? Well, when I first started hunting, it was, I mean, I would say it was, it was super tough like that, man. I honestly, it was pretty much just, I was just a weekend warrior because, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm probably, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm close to the mountains. I mean, I, if I, if I get home and I'm ready to go hunting, I could be up there probably unload my you know my side by side or if i'm walking in within like 45 minutes an hour say you got another 15 you know 20 minutes ride then you got to hike in so yeah by the time you're in there you're probably two two and a half hours from actually getting to where you're hunting so to do that of an evening i mean that's tough i mean i you know yeah you get off work at four o'clock well by the time you get up there it's 6 37 that's prime time you're 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 basically you're wasting your time you might get in an hour of hunting you know so I was pretty much a weekend warrior to where Thursday night, maybe I'd get off a Friday and I'd go hunt Friday. Uh, I'd, I'd go hunt Saturday. Um, I sometimes I don't like to hunt on Sunday. I, I, I feel like that's the day of rest. So a lot of times I'll go to church on Sunday. So that was even harder, you know, trying to balance going to church on Sunday Mm -hmm. family, but then also, man, I only get one day a week to hunt, you know? Right. And so I think that kind of made it tough for success in my, my early years. Now, Recently, I've got a lot more freedom with work. I'm I'm pretty much self-employed, so I can pretty much make my schedule. So there's a lot of times where on like a Tuesday or a Wednesday or a Thursday, I might get off at 12 o'clock. Well, then I can get in the woods by like 2 or 3 that afternoon. And that helps a bunch because, man, there's so many people on the weekend that if you can get out there during the week, mm. I feel like it's such a better chance to, to, to have an, an encounter with an animal just because there's not that many people in the woods, you know. And so yeah. I think that's played into my success. You know, I've killed a, I've killed an elk the past three years with my bow, three years in a row. And, you know, I think part, part, partly just being able to get out more and get out there at different times, not always just, you know, like Friday, Saturday, Friday, Saturday, sometimes during the week, it helps a lot. But I mean, a lot of guys aren't in that position that I'm in. And so, yeah, they're, they're hunting Saturday and Sunday and that's it, you know? And yeah, for sure. it's tough because you got guys that come from out of state like you and they might be there for like one or two weeks straight up, you know? And so you kind of, they kind of have a little bit of advantage because it might take you a day or two or three to, to figure out where the All elk right. are at. You, right. you, you can then, you can be on them for us by the, by the second day, man, we got to go back to work. <laughs> so that's it's right. That's like, right. Hard, man. Yeah, people I, think that living here is like the ultimate, like, oh, you get to hunt all the time. And that's just not really the way it is. Right, right. Yeah, I I mean, I got to say I've – well, obviously I asked the question because I've thought about it a lot, but it was kind of dawning on me right now as you were telling us, like, holy smokes, exactly what you just said. 
we have the advantage by like just setting that side of time, setting that time aside. But I mean, certainly you could load all your vacation days up and, you know, do elk season. I'm sure a lot of guys out there end up doing that anyways, but the temptation is going to be when you're already there to not do that. You know, just like guys here in Iowa, there are a few hardcore like rut guys that will every year take two weeks of their, you know, of their time off from work to just hunt the rut every day for two weeks. Most guys don't do that though. Most guys, you know, you could be in whitetail paradise and you're doing exactly what you're doing out there in Colorado. Mm -hmm. So I guess there's probably a lesson to learn there about grass being greener. But anyways, so that kind of sets the stage for this labor day then that of your hunting store. That was, that's a good bonus day to be out in the woods. Correct. Yeah. I had that Monday off and, uh, so me and my buddy Nolan, um, we hadn't hunted a lot together. I mean, we, we kind of grew up together, but that day uh, he wasn't really hunting with anybody. And, and I'm not really, a lot of guys like to hunt by themselves. I, I don't know. I, I don't care to hunt by myself. I like to experience it with somebody. I like, mm. I, don't, I feel like there's just so much, I have a better time when I'm hunting with somebody, you know? And so I was like, you know, Hey man, you want to go hunting? And he's like, sure. So and I, I, don't, I think that year, I don't know if he actually had an elk tag that year. I don't remember if he, I don't think he even had his bow with him. He may have had a buck tag. And so, uh, we go up into this spot and this is a, this is a good spot. There's been elk killed here before. And, uh, we got in there daylight and, uh, let out a couple bugles and we heard a bull, uh, respond real far away, kind of faint. He wasn't super fired up. You know, you, you can tell the difference if a bull is like just flat out, like, He's so fired up and like he'll bugle like every time after you, I mean, he'll just keep, keep screaming. This bull really wasn't that way. He kind of would kind of respond every now and then. And so we kind of kept hiking up in there. We had an an idea where we wanted to go. And this bull was kind of, he wasn't really where we were wanting to go. He was kind of off to a different direction and we could tell he wasn't too fired up. So it wasn't like we were going to just go up and after him, you know, we kind of had an idea in our head that where we wanted to be at. So we climb this real steep hill, get up on top of this. It's kind of a finger that comes down off of this mountain, and it's pretty much an aspen. It's just full of aspens, deadfalls, real thick. And so we got up on this little flat, started climbing this flat up through here, and uh, we were cow calling, letting out some, you know, a bugle here and there, just kind of working our way through there real quiet. And, you know, we'd, a couple times we'd hear that, that bull kind of same off in that same direction, and he would just he'd just bugle every now and then, you know. Hmm. And so we just kept walking up through there. Uh, you know, there were sign in there, but nothing, nothing great. Definitely weren't any elk in there or else we would have busted them. We would have hurt them. And so we kind of just amble up through there and we kind of break out of the Aspens and it kind of opens up a little bit there. Um, kind of a nice little spot to take a break. And I, I don't know, this time I think I want to say it was maybe like something like 10 o'clock. We'd kind of taken all morning to hike up in there. And so, uh, we got up in there, uh, kind of sat down took a little break um you know i think my buddy got on his phone was watching a movie or something you know, he, he was kind of <laughs> we were just kind of tuned out sometimes you do that in the elkwoods man you just kind of like if the, if the morning's dead like that you're almost just like okay bummer like let's just you know take a break now you know and yep. so we kind of just hung out for 30 minutes or so uh you know had a snack and so we decided okay let's let's get up here and kind of right where we were at it kind of turned into a little bit of a draw coming the opposite way and uh there's always a real good spot there's some water coming down through there so there's kind of a few little wallows in there and so we kind of walked over to that and uh i believe we got 
to the other side of that, and this is a spot where uh, another buddy of mine had killed a bull, I think the year before that or two years before that, he had killed a bull right there. There's always a lot of elk in there, good area. And uh, and I, I believe it was, I don't remember if I, I think I heard, I want to say I heard a bark, like an elk barking. And mm-hmm. we were like, whoa, what's going on? Like, and just out of nowhere. And so I started kind of walking up through there into this kind of thicker fern area. And sure enough, there was like two cows right there. And I mean, they were just, boom, they were just like right there. And, you know, we weren't expecting it at all. So my buddy got kind of behind me and he started kind of cow calling. And at this point, I mean, I, I hadn't killed a, an, elk, an elk with my bow yet. I mean, I, I had had so many seasons where I'd have had opportunities. Mm-hmm. I think I killed one elk that I shot and we never could find it. And then a couple weeks later, somebody found it. So technically I had killed an elk with my bow. just hadn't recovered it. And so I was sure. shooting anything, man. I was, I was shooting a cow. I was kind of at the point where it was like, I'm starting to fling arrows. It's kind of a bad mindset to be in, but I had missed so many opportunities because something wasn't perfect or whatever that I was like, I'm flinging arrows. Like I'm, I'm just tired of this. I need to kill an elk, you know? Mm-hmm. And so there was a cow and she was out there, I think about 40 yards and, uh, they had kind of settled in where they weren't really spooked. And my buddy was back behind kind of cow calling. And so I just kind of started to sneak up through there. And this cow was at about 40 yards and she wasn't really giving me a good shot. I, I drew back. I was at full draw and I just didn't have a very good shot at all. I, I just didn't feel comfortable about it. So I let down. She kind of walked off a little bit. I think it was a, a cow and a calf. And she walked out a little bit again. I drew back again and I all I had was a butt shot. And I was just like, man, I, you know, as much as I say I was going to fling arrows, you know, I, that wasn't, that wasn't a good shot. Right, and so right. I'm like, man, I, I can't take that shot. So I, I let down and those elk kind of just, they kind of just ambled off through those ferns. And so I turned around and went back to my buddy and we were just talking and we we're just like, wow, you know, that, that, that was, that was cool. You know, like we weren't expecting that. Yeah. And all of a sudden, man, I don't know what it was. I don't know if we heard a, a stick break or what it was, but something like we just like both turned and looked and there was a bull walking right up through those trees, right to where we were, where we had been cow calling and, you know, trying to mess with those cows. And here he comes walking up through, just kind of just walking up through like that. He wouldn't really make any sound. And like, I was just, I, I, we just like both looked and he was just right. He was like right there. And I turned around and looked at my buddy. I was like, I just like looked at him in shock. And I was like, it happened so fast. And so, and I, I mean, I had a camera we were like, oh, we're going to film this hunt. We're going to do all this. Well, he had a camera and it all happened so fast. Like he didn't have time to get the camera out or nothing. I mean, it was just, so like, as that bull is literally walking up, like we turn and look and this is all happening within like 10, 15 seconds. Like I grab an arrow off my bow and as I'm like turning to face the bull, I'm knocking an arrow and there's one tree right there. And I just kind of step behind this tree, knock an arrow. And my buddy is literally standing right out in the open. He's just standing there like this. He's just standing still. He can't even move. And so I'm behind that tree. I knock an arrow. I draw back. And as I draw back, I step away from, right behind the tree and i didn't i didn't even i don't i don't think i ranged there was no time to range anything like yeah, i just right, drew right. back and i came around that tree and when i drew back he was cording right towards me and then he just as i drew back and leveled my pin on him he just stopped and looked right at me and so boom i i touched it off and boom he took off running and I, it, it was all so fast and so quick that 
I couldn't really even see like where I hit. I mean, he was so close. I can't even see where I hit him. Yeah. And so he took off running and we were just, I was just like, I was just like, what happened? What, what happened? Like it was, it was, it was insane, you know? And what had happened is that whole entire morning, that bull, while we were moving up through there, bugling, that bull had been making his way towards us, I think. And when we got up in there with those cows, he just came in silent. Like he was like, man, there's cows up there. I'm, I'm, I'm going to him, you know? Right. And he never bugled coming in that, that last, what, hour and a half, two hours. He never bugled at all. And so, like, anyways, that was that was cool. So then I, we're like, okay, I'm like, I don't know. Did, how, did I hit him? Did you see where I hit him? Like, it was all just a blur. And so we walk up there to where he was and kind of start looking around a little bit. And, I mean, there wasn't much blood at all. Finally, we found a little speck of blood. And we're like, okay, we, we got to wait, you know, because I didn't know. We didn't know what was going on. We didn't know where I hit him. So we go back and. We're just sitting there. I, I don't know. I think we waited. I honestly think we waited 45 minutes. I, that was tough. I, I mean, we. Oh, you know, yeah. That's good discipline. Probably should have waited. I don't know. And the, the sad thing about this is, you know, so many years in the past, like I said, I had lost a cow before. So many of my buddies had lost elk that they shot, that they blood trailed. So then that whole thing is going through your mind. Like, okay, yeah, great. I've been I there, shot man. this bull. I didn't see him go down. Oh, man. This, this is, you know, this is going to suck. How are we going to find him? Whatever. I don't know if you've been there or not. It's oh, brutal. Oh, yeah. man. It, I've had that story so many times. It's almost like it 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 robs a little bit of the joy. You know, even if you right. feel like, wow, I, I, I really don't know how I could have missed that shot. But I've done it before, you know, and here yeah. we go again. Oh, and, yeah. it, you know, yeah, that, I've definitely been there. Well, and so I knew I hit him. You know, at least we found a little blood. So I give about 45 minutes. And so we start walking up through there. And. It was super. It was it was a wet year, and so literally the ferns were like, I mean, they were like hip high. So mm-hmm. throw that in, that makes it even tougher because everything is just so thick, you know. There's ferns everywhere, and so we're looking kind of, you know, hip height for blood, whatever. And we'd find a little bit here, and we'd kind of look around. And we'd find a little bit, and I mean, we were. This was slow. I mean, this was not like it was like a, yeah. a little bit of blood. It was not a lot of blood, and I'm like, oh no, here we go. So mm-hmm. I don't know. We'd probably honestly gone like maybe like forty or fifty yards. And we got to the spot where, man, you could just smell elk. Like, it just smelled like, like man, that was strong. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, you know, we're looking around and went a little farther forward and there was no blood. And we were like, what? And we couldn't find any farther blood. There was a little bit of blood on these ferns. We went farther and nothing. And I was like, okay, this is, this is crazy. And it just smelled like elk. So we went back to where that blood was and just went forward again i'm like there's there's just no more no more blood we couldn't find it and so like i turned and walked back to my buddy and that time when i turned and walked back i looked past him and here that bull was laying there like literally like 10 yards off of where we were trailing him and what he had done is he had ran forward and then he had like buckled back and fell backwards kind of back behind a tree oh, okay, to where we yeah. couldn't even hardly see him and that's why we smelt him because we were like right beside him but we couldn't see him laying down there next to that tree. Right. I mean, it's it, crazy it, how how you could be that close to an elk, it's, and you don't even know he's there. You know, yeah, how many animals do you walk by that people have lost that they were just right there? You know. Yeah, yeah, that's so, that's true. I mean, he's laying there, and then then it was just like I I just lost it, man. Like that was my first bull. I, I made it happen, and I just I don't even know what to think. Like I finally killed my first bull with with a bow, you know. And I was just it's almost like a, just a load was lifted off of me because. 
I, I had worked so hard and, and so many years hunted so hard to make that happen. And then like all of a sudden it just happened and it right. just like happened so fast and so quick and boom, it was done, man. I, it was, it was, that's just, I don't know. It's just an amazing story. I don't, I don't know if I'll ever have a story to top that with it being my first bull and the way it happened, you know, it just was, it was amazing, you know? Yeah, that is so cool. What a great, what a great ending too. I mean, I can relate to that so well, just with, with having those negative feelings and especially when that blood trail is thin, you know, and it's like, it's just confirming it with each step. You're like, uh, like you said, here we go again, but, uh, what a great story. That was awesome. Well, I'm glad we started out that way. Um, clearly as we can all see now, David is a successful elk hunter. Somebody knows what he's doing. And as he uh, mentioned, he's been uh, fortunate enough to tag, elk with his bow the last three seasons which is no easy feat um i often think of guys who come from my neck of the woods you know here in the midwest they spend all their vacation time and a ton of money to go out and chase elk out west with their bow and i think they're half crazy just because of (laughs) how difficult that's going to be to have that success you know when you uh it's difficult enough with a rifle honestly i mean it's they're they're animals that can cover a lot of ground they they uh you know i i don't know much about i've never hunted elk myself i've i've seen elk i've been in the elk woods and so forth out west but um uh they just seem to be a pretty cagey animal that that uh test the limits of what you're capable of so it's uh that's pretty incredible that you've been able to do that so that that makes me wonder though uh you, we need to get to know you a little bit here you mentioned that you're self-employed now what do you do for work i'm a plumber awesome yep you enjoy doing that yeah yeah it's uh i mean it, it's you have your days but i'm gonna spot now to where uh, I mean, I, I'm pretty much just managing guys and I mean, I, I still work every day. I mean, there's things I got to do, but I'm not under a crawl space every day doing that kind of stuff. So <laughs> I, that's a good thing. You know, I, I it, it pretty much anymore. I've had two major knee surgeries on my right knee. And so like, I, I I'm not a crawl space guy anymore because my knees just can't take it. Right. So it's, that's, it's a good thing, but no, it's, it pays the bills that you make good money at it. And the demand's only getting greater and greater for skilled trades, you know. Yeah, for sure. What's the worst thing you found in a crawl space? Uh, I wouldn't. I don't know. If the worst thing I found in a crawl space. Uh, for most part, crawl spaces we do mostly new stuff, so it's not bad. But uh, I will say, there's been some sewer cleans and stuff over the years that have. <laughs> they've, uh, I, you know, I'm pretty. I got a pretty strong stomach. There's been a couple that made me gag pretty bad. So, thank you a lot. Oh man, crawl spaces, they those things creep me out. Uh yeah, new construction wouldn't be bad, but like we have a crawl space in our old farmhouse here and uh that will always be hired out work. Whatever happens in that crawl space oh, yeah. is not gonna be with me in there. That is uh <laughs> not something I wanna well, I've, do. I've I've put on I've put on a one piece suit, man, and taped my taped my ankles and <laughs> taped my wrists and crawled under those houses the whole sometimes. I've done it. Well, you guys, I don't, don't, don't you guys have like scorpions and stuff out in Colorado? Uh, not really. I mean, we got black widows and stuff. That's the worst thing. I hate spiders. And so, I mean, if I go in a crawl space and I see a black widow, like I'm out, I'm out of there. You, oh, you're not yeah. getting like you're, oh, yeah. you got to plug on the place before I'm back in there. So, <laughs> yeah, I'd be the same way. You know, spiders don't, they don't like really, uh, you know, some people are just like, 
they're totally freaked out by them. But yeah, like going into a dark spot like that. If you've uh, been following my Instagram, you'll see a couple of Mondo spiders that uh, we found in our house this week. We actually just found, my wife found another one last night. And uh, I found a, another one of the big black spiders um, that same day that we he was already dead. But the same day we found that that one that was alive and man to come across one of those, like crawling down the back of your shirt or something in a crawl space. That's like, that's, that's the stuff nightmares are made of. I think I come up to the floor, man. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You and me both, man, no way would I be able to handle that, but no, that's cool. And then uh, you're also a family guy, right? I am. Yep. Married to my wife, Katie. We've been married for uh, 11 years now. And, uh, Congrats. Got, that's uh, awesome. We've got two kids, a little boy, Remington. He is uh, four years old, and a little girl, Savannah. She's uh, a little over a year and a half. Awesome. That's great. Yep. It's yep. And it's exciting that you uh, are probably starting to get to include them on little tastes of the outdoors. Might be in the baby backpack strapped on your back, but... Um, yeah, getting them out a little bit, I'm sure, and, and small doses, maybe getting some hiking at least or shed hunting or fishing yep. or something. That's all. Uh, that's uh, that's honestly one of the best parts of the outdoors is getting to include the kids in in on it. So uh, oh. that's that's really cool. And then uh, I think we've already talked about, but you're out in Colorado, correct? Correct. I'm in western Colorado. Uh, I live uh, in a real small town called Olathe. Uh, a lot of people will know of Montrose, Colorado. I live about 10 miles from Montrose, Colorado. Okay. Very cool. So uh, pretty wild part of the state. Uh, kind of dry out west, right? It is, yeah. It's pretty, pretty dry around here. I mean, we have a lot of irrigation. So, I mean, we kind of live down in here in the valley where there's a lot of farm ground and irrigation. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we have a lot of adobes around us and stuff like that. But then, I mean, right past the adobes, you get mountains. So it's dry, but, I mean, it's we got a lot of green, too. That's cool. Sounds like a cool landscape to be a part of for sure. So, uh, with only your, uh, I mean, I say only, is it like that small? It's, it's crazy that you've gotten three elk with your bow already, but I'm guessing that means that you might have a bit of a unique story for how you got into hunting. Did you grow up hunting your whole life? Uh, was it part of your family tradition or were you like me where you kind of like, Hey, I want to do that when I get a chance to call my own shots. No, I mean, I, I grew up hunting. Uh, my dad was a hunter. Uh, but I mean, I, for us, it was always when I grew up, it was always hunting. Like, uh, say like me and my dad would go like muzzled hunt or something. And so I'd maybe hunt with him for a couple of days. It was tough. You know, I played sports and stuff you know, in high school. And so it was hard to get off to go hunting. I, I'd go hunting like a day here and there. Mm. You know, on a week or something, leave on a Friday night, go hunt on a Saturday. And so, you know, I hunted my entire life, uh, but I never really got to just, like, dive into it, uh, like, full-fledged hunting until, honestly, I was probably, uh, until I got out of college. I mean, because, wow. you know, with high school, college, I mean, it was tough. You know, it was tough to get out and, and hunt a lot. And so I, I grew up hunting, and, you know, my dad, you know, he taught me how to hunt, um, uh, uh, but I would say that, you know, ever since I, like I said, I started hunting on my own, man, I, that's just really, really, I've learned so much and it's literally made me just uh, love it even more and just want to, want to hunt more and more and more, you know, the more you do it, it just kind of just almost becomes a way of life, you know? Yeah, definitely. You know, it's, it's interesting how 
like the role sports play in our society now. You know, we we are totally enamored with sports. Although, I will say this, <clears throat> from being a teacher uh, in my previous career, and be, you know, so I I taught up through last school year. So I'm you know I'm not that far removed from it, and seeing like the trend of kids. Like, sports are still huge. I mean, you see a new sports complex for travel ball go up all the time, right? Mm -hmm. But I feel like that might be coming to, I wouldn't say an end, but like a dialing down, uh, scaling down, where people are getting interests that are going in different directions a little bit. And I I don't think that that's necessarily bad. You know, I think... uh, I think if you follow like the standard, whoa, what's a happy household for an American family? You know, it's it's you know X, Y, and Z plus tournament, whatever, right? And families are doing that a lot of the weekends of of the year. You know, this is built their schedules built around that. But sports, I think, have been a bad thing in the sense that they have played the role of the great distractor. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. I used to be a super avid uh, football fan. You know, like that was that was my thing before I got into hunting. It was, well, my weekend's going to be, you know, Saturday. It's going to be watching, you know, college game day in the morning, basically. And then it's going to be, you know, watch when Iowa plays and then try to find more big 10 games through till bedtime that night. And then on Sunday, go to church, church is done, get home, watch the bears disappoint me again. And, (laughs) and, uh, you know, it's like, finally it dawned on me because all my teams were, were letdowns probably. Um, I, I was like, you know what? All of this is just built around me watching other people participate, watching other people, you know, live out their dreams. And I'm over here somehow emotionally tied to this when I have zero control over it. And it it affected my mood on the weekends and stuff like that based on if they won or lost. And it's like, what is this? Am I living a spectator life here? You know what I mean? And I think that that's where sports, which obviously can be a very good thing, can become a very damaging thing when yeah. when uh, you build your life around something like that that doesn't really have much of a return on investment. Yeah. Um, and and uh, in the I mean, obviously, if you're the one participating, you're getting, you know, physical benefits from that yeah. and, and having fun and so forth. But if you're just, you know, absorbed with that from a spectator standpoint you're missing out. You know, you only get one, one, uh, life to, uh, uh, maximize. And if you're going to spend it sitting in front of the TV, uh, when you have the health and abilities to go and participate in something you're on your own, I don't think that's a very wise use of, of, uh, the invaluable resources of those things, time, health, and ability, you know? So I, I've, can see where you're coming from there as far as like you got into hunting and you ran with it. And, uh, earlier when we were talking before we started recording, uh, you were an athlete yourself and you talked about that a little bit through high school, but you mentioned you also played football in college. And, um, 
I think when that ends, it's like, okay, now what? How do I compete? You know, I still have this competitive mindset and hunting kind of allows for that. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think it does. I mean, I, you know, I, we, we kind of, like I said, before we went on, we kind of talked about that a bit and, and, you know, after, after college football, you know, I, I kind of, I would actually say, I actually kind of lost the urge to work out, to do any of those things. I was so burnt out, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, I did start hunting, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, you you have to do something. I mean, I, you know, sports took, took so much time that now you don't have that, you know, and now you have the free time to do these things. And so, you know, I guess, yeah, you could say I did turn to hunting and, you know, when I turned to hunting then, I don't know if it was, it wasn't as much of a passion as it is now because it was just kind of starting. Mm-hmm. But like now it's just like, like so many of the things I do, like on a daily basis, prepare and stay in shape. It's, it all is basically based upon being a, a hunter and being out in the woods, you know? And so like, yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's being a, being an athlete is great. And I think it's taught me so many amazing, uh, things. It's, you know, it's taught me to work out. It's taught me to, to do all those things. And I want to continue to do that. But then again, just like you were saying, like, to be honest, like, I don't even, I don't really care about sports now. Like yeah. the same thing, man. I used to watch, oh, I had to watch it, football and all. And then now I'm like, yeah, I'll watch a game. But I could care less, man. Like if I miss it, who cares? Like what? What does it even matter? Right, you know? Exactly. And so, like it, it's exact same, exact same thing you said. You know. And so, I guess it's this is something that it's more. You know, I can control this somewhat. You know, it's I'm more involved in it. I'm not wasting my time with it. I'm not, you know, watching a football game. How's that going to benefit you? You know, it's not. You know. Right. In a way, it's kind of like almost taking back the driver's seat for our own experiences when we, you know, when we choose to live that active outdoor lifestyle or, and, and, you know, I think people can even still look to other sports that you can do, you know, post college years, like you can go play on like a, you know, a YMCA basketball league or something like that, or go play, um, you you know, maybe play golf or get into like bowling leagues and stuff like that and and find some of that fulfilling uh competition that you know kind of replaces what you lost but the nice thing about hunting is like it's something that's that's not over when the the final buzzer sounds so to speak you know what i mean it's like you either take those experiences with you if you don't fill that tag something to learn from you come away with a greater appreciation for creation, for nature around you, for the wild animals that live there and the wild places and where they live, which is good from a conservation standpoint. You're going to like you're going to be a better, more informed voter when it comes to conservation issues. You're going to uh, probably be willing to share some of your extra income and donate it to conservation issues or maybe even be an advocate in some way. But then when you do get a fill your tag or you pick up that shed, you get to take something back with you that lasts essentially forever, you know, and, and, uh, man, that's powerful. And even more important than that, when you harvest an animal, you get to share with your family and and your friends and people around you. And man, that's, there's nothing else really that that's quite like that you know as far as hobbies go where you get to you you come away with so much you know what whether you fill that tag or not i agree well 
you know, the football side of this, and uh, if you aren't already following, following David, again, we're going to tell you how to. David is a big dude. He is somebody that I would call a hoss. He's, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's built like a truck. And, uh, what I love about that fact about David is it kind of goes against what you see all over the place for what a, you know, somebody in the, the mountains, what, what mountain physique should look like, right? Some, maybe a guy who, yeah, he's, he's pretty well jacked, but he probably weighs, you know, like 165 pounds or something like that. Um, that's, that's not David. David is, is like I said, he's built like a truck. He's in very good shape and he tears up the mountains. You can just tell he's out there hunting all season. He shares, you know, pictures and videos of that. He's in great shape. That's pretty cool that you, uh, kind of break the mold in that way, David. Yeah. I, you know, I guess I never really thought about that, but as you're saying that, like, that is the truth. Like, you don't see a lot of big guys out there. No. Huh? I mean, yeah, you might see a few, but, you know, I guess most of the time, if, if they are bigger, they're really not, I guess, in that great of shape. I mean, they're just bigger guys out there, you know. But, right. uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I guess it's one of those things where I love to hunt, and so I'm not going to let uh, my body type <laughs> prevent me from doing that. Um, I mean, I, it's, it's hard. I mean, don't get me wrong. I... I can't quite keep up with those 165 pound guys that are, you know, jacked and they can like, you know, walk 10, 12 miles a day. I mean, you know, I ain't gonna lie. I, I do get tired. I don't quite have that stamina, but, uh, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm just constantly working towards, actually, I'm actually constantly working towards that right there because I feel like that's the one thing that does hold me back is I could be in better, in better physical shape when it comes to my cardio and hiking and stuff like that. I feel like that's something that I'm never, ever going to get to where I want to be. As hard as I work, that's always a goal of mine is just to keep pushing harder to where, you know, yeah, I'm strong. I can I can pack out a heavy animal. I can walk uphill all day. But if I could add that stamina to that to just be able to go, I think that'd be amazing, you know? Yeah, definitely. Well, and what I think is good to recognize about it is I wish uh, – I wish my buddy Caleb Drake could uh, make it for for the call tonight because he is a uh, college um, cross country and track and field coach, and so uh, he looks like a cross country guy. He is he's in like great, like you were saying, endurance shape, right? But we had this conversation once. It's like he he kind of has like his own theory on how people end up with different body types based on you know, a sport that they really pursue or something like that. You know, they start lifting in a certain way during those developmental years or they, you know, do these different movements and, and that kind of changes that. But like if I were, and I'm not in bad shape, like I could, I'm because of all my shed hunting and now especially my job where I'm I'm farming all day you know like today I think my step count was like 21,000 steps you know just just working you know I could I can walk forever so I'm not like in I'm not in in bad shape however I'm definitely not in great shape either and if I were to get in as good a shape as I've like ever been, which has been, you know, I was a college football player too, you know, and, and I played sports, multiple sports growing up and, and everything else. And, uh, I'm never going to be that, 
that super slim, you know, yeah. 165 pound guy. That's just not me. You know, a healthy, a really healthy weight for me is not going to have a one on the front of that number. Okay. It's, it's just not going to. And, and, uh, you know, I think it's important that people have that realistic expectation because if you don't, uh, with your health, you're never going to be, you're, ne- you're always going to feel dissatisfied. Like you're chasing your tail, going after something that really isn't attainable. And, um, I, I also want to be careful here too. And, uh, I don't want to give an excuse for like not being healthy. Like if, yeah. if I'm not, if I'm not in healthy shape, that's not, you know, yes, I agree. We shouldn't treat people poorly based on that or anything like that, obviously, but you also shouldn't just be like, Oh, no big deal. You don't know that your health is a big deal. You know, without your health, you can't, you can't really do much of anything else. So it is important to be healthy, but it's also important to be realistic. You know, we're not all meant to look like Cam Haynes out there and, no, no. and, and do, you know, 200 milers and, and stuff like that. But we could all probably take a whole lot away from a guy like, campaigns and you know get a lot more active and be a lot more intentional with with how we uh you know view everything but yeah. especially our health so well, yeah and i just actually speaking of campaign i just got done with this book endure you know oh yeah and, yeah and 100 percent, man i to be honest that that gave me so much motivation because like you said i'm i'm never going to beat cameron haynes i understand that like i I'm just a big guy. Like I, I, I have to fight so hard to try to stay in shape. It's not even, it's not mm-hmm, easy, man. I, right. mean, I just put on weight cause this is my way my body is. But just, just listening to that book, like it gave me motivation to where like a couple weeks ago I started running, man. Like I haven't, I don't know if I in, ever in my life have I got up and I said, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm going to run a couple miles today. I've never done. I mean, I'm not a runner. I, I just don't have that body right. type. After listening to that, I'm like, okay, this is ridiculous, man. I gotta start. Being, I gotta stop being a wuss. This guy can run a marathon every day. Yeah. And here, like, I tell myself that I can't even like run at all. Oh, right. I got bad knees, this and that. Like, I'm making excuses for myself. Like, yeah, I've had two major knee surgeries. Yeah, I weigh 235 pounds. But who cares? Like, you know, get out there and do it. So, like, I've started running in the mornings, man. I'll get up at 5:30 and I'll go jog for most of the time. I'm, I'm doing like 1.8 miles. I'll throw in a, like, I think this last Saturday I did 2.6 miles. And for me, like, that's that's amazing for me because that's just not me, you know? And so, like, I'm trying to get to a point where, like, honestly, where I could be a better hunter in the, in the, in the mountains because all that running, man, if I can, if I can jog for, for almost three miles straight, well, I can go in the mountains and I can hike for, for six, seven miles and be fine. And so, like, you know, you were talking about, you know, people being healthy and, you know, yeah, you do have to be careful, but at, at some point, you know, I almost, I'm just like, there's no, stop with the excuses. Like if you want to be healthy, you can be healthy and you can eat right. I, I'm on a diet pretty much all the time. And yeah, I mean, I get cheat meals and all this and that, but I have to work so hard to stay in shape, to, to just stay on course, work out. If I didn't, I'd weigh 270 pounds. And right, like, right. what I'd love to just go eat all I want. All the, yeah, that'd be great. But you know, I, I know if I do that, well, then I'm not going to be able to go hunt. I'm not going to be able to do this, do that. And so, like, I'm at the point where it's just like, maybe I don't have the sympathy for people, but I'm just like, you know what? There's just no excuses. I mean, I, you know, it's my own fault that, you know, I could be in better shape. And if somebody just, you can be healthy and it's, it's hard, but it's not that hard. 
Mm-hmm. Like, you just have to make that choice and you just have to do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point, and and uh, we should all be inspired by by guys like like Cam or even uh, guys like David, you know, to just make that a priority in your life. And it's not just a selfish thing. I think it can be. I think absolutely it can be a selfish thing. And um, uh, one of the things I, I heard Cam in an interview when his book came out, you know, uh, he was kind of doing a podcast tour to promote the book and everything. And uh, I'll be honest, you know, I had kind of this, this, uh, sour outlook on it. Like, dude, I bet that guy neglects his family hard, you know, to, to do all that. But when you listen to the interview, he's like, I go to work every day. Most people don't realize that, that he still works a, you know, full-time job. And he's like, you know, before I go to work, I uh, wake up super early, run half of a marathon. Then I uh, then I go eat breakfast, do my morning routine or whatever, head to work for the day, get home. And he, he said, you know, I'll get a lift in and then it's family time till my family goes to bed. You know, he's he's spending that time with him. And then he gets up and goes and runs the other half of that marathon yep. after they're yep. already sleeping. So... You know, I think that there's a guy who's been so intentional about all those aspects of life, whereas you can see people, honestly, I've seen it be the the kiss of death for a lot of families, where somebody in that family gets super into fitness all of a sudden, and they're spending so many hours for themselves in the, yeah. weight, in the weight room or, you know, uh, at a CrossFit gym or something like that. Yep. And they're kind of just shutting their family out from that side of their life. And you can do this with hunting too, you know, uh, where you can make it all about yourself and, and, uh, you know, damage your family. But if you do it the right way, it's good to your family because what you're, you're doing is you're creating a healthier, you, somebody mm-hmm. who's going to have more energy to play with their kids after they get home from work. Um, somebody who's going to be around longer, hopefully, um, uh, to, you know, be there to love your family for, and see your kids grow up and, and, you know, hunt with them when you're, uh, okay. retired, 100%. you know, it's, it, there's, there's so many benefits there. So now real quick, before we move on from the fitness and get into, uh, you know, kind of where we wrap up talking about what you like to hunt. Uh, we know you like to hunt elk, but, uh, we also want to talk about mule deer and, and bear hunting as well. Any, uh, like, uh, hunting specific movements, like, just a limit because we could probably talk about this for for a whole couple podcasts. But give me your uh, your three favorite movements or lifts to get ready for elk season. Well, I guess I'm kind of an old school guy. I mean, you know, you see like these guys like Dan Staten and Elk Shape and all those guys that are doing all these. I don't know. I don't even know. I get metrics and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I that's I don't know what. I guess again, look at their body type. Like that's just not me. And so, like, right. I'm I'm old school, man. Like, I love bench press. That's probably my favorite lift. I love bench press. I love squats. Um, and I mean, I deadlift stuff like that. I mean, I I'm just old school, man. I yeah, I love built the free those kind of lifts. They just I just feel like they're they help you out in so many ways, man. I mean, I you know, whenever I put a 120 pound backpack on my back after I kill an animal, like yeah, it's tough, but like, 
I can do it. Like, it's not like, you know, it's not like it's like, oh, I can't walk or whatever, you know. And I just feel like those kind of things, maybe they're not helping you, like, be in better shape for the pack out or be in better, like, you know, I don't know, you know, you're, you're breathing or whatever. But I just feel like, I don't know, for me, they just help me be just strong. Mm-hmm. Like, just all together strong, you know. Yeah, and, and, powerful. Maybe the right word is powerful. Yeah, I mean, and I, like I said, I mean, I can hike uphill all day, man. Like, I... I can't hardly go downhill to save my life because of my knees. I mean, it's so brutal. But mm-hmm. literally, like, I can hike uphill all day, and I'll be fine. And, you know, I just – I guess it's because I have that power in my legs from all of that lifting. I, I can just do it, you know, and I can go. And so I don't necessarily have anything, like, specific that I do, like, for hunting. I'm just I'm just old school, man. I just – I like those old lifts because you can either do them or you can't. Like, it, the weights don't lie. Like, if I can bench press 405 pounds – like I don't care if I can do all these jump squats and all that. I mean, I can bench press four to five pounds. Like I've just I have got that strength. You <laughs> right, know? right. It's just different, you know. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Man, I'd love to be able to bench four hundred and five pounds. I have to do some more talking after the show <laughs> or something. But, yeah. but uh, no, that's uh, I like that too. I've always been a big fan of doing free weight stuff, and and uh, you got to be smart about it too because uh, with yeah. free, free weights, just like with plyos, you can uh, definitely do some some damage to yourself if you're if you're not you know doing. If you're, if you're killing yourself too often with them, but yeah, that's good to know. It's good advice. And I think the key there too, is just getting there and doing something, you know, is, is, as long as you're using good form and again, being smart about how much you can handle, you're going to get stronger. And, and, and I think the key word here is powerful. You know, you're just more powerful to, to move up, up and down the mountains, whether or not you got an animal on your back or not so yeah that's great well uh mule deer um colorado is obviously known for elk and uh for you residents there that's probably kind of unfortunate (laughs) because uh the state gets flooded come september i mean uh if they if they did uh a census of uh, the state's population in September, it's probably like doubled from everybody from the Midwest and the East Coast flooding in there for those OTC elk tags. But um, uh, mule deer can be excellent hunting in uh, Colorado as as well. Um, how do you like to hunt muleys? Like, do you go with archery? Are you a, a gun guy only for that? Do you like to do spot and stock, or are you uh, doing more like ambush or still hunting? Um, how do you go after mule deer? So for mule deer, I'm I'm pretty much a rifle guy. Although I'm hoping that that changes here real soon. Um, I think I've, I want to say I've killed. It, it's hard. It's hard to get a mule deer. It's not like we can just go get a mule deer tag every year. You got to put in for mule deer tags. There's oh, no really? Yeah, I know no, that. That's good to know. Yeah, it's it's uh it's actually. It's getting really hard to get a decent mule deer tag in Colorado. Growing up, I could start hunting when I was 12, and I could pretty much get a buck tag like every other year. Sometimes mm-hmm. two years, uh, I'd be in, in between two years. And we hunted a piece of property that was some private land, and I killed, oh, I don't know, probably four or five bucks on this piece of property. And it was easy hunting. It wasn't hard. It was all, uh, I think I shot one with a shotgun once, a uh, muzzleloader. It was all pretty close range. Uh, but recently, I've been rifle hunting. Uh Last year, I uh, had a killed a real nice buck. Last year uh, here in Colorado, and it took me 
I think I had three points, so it took me four years to draw that tag. So I hadn't hunted mule deer bucks for like four years. Wow. Just because I was waiting for a good tag. Um, now, there are some units that you can get, and the tag I have this year, I was able to get with no points um, for my, my second choice. So I actually still I still built a point, but I still got a buck tag. And so I'm hoping that I can find some of these spots that are like that and hunt every year. Uh, I didn't really know about that several years ago when I was in between. I, I didn't really know that these uh, units existed. So I was just waiting for a good buck tag. But, yeah, mostly mostly with a rifle. Uh, last year I killed my buck, uh, shot him at 570 yards. Wow. Uh, about an hour into opening day, uh, I shot my buck. And That's uh, awesome. like I said, I waited, I waited four years, and so I knew I wanted a nice buck. I wasn't going to shoot anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'd killed some nice deer before that. But I, I kind of had a number in my head score-wise. Not that I'm really a trophy hunter. I just I had in my mind that I wanted to kill a buck that scored about 170 or 175. That would put me a little bit bigger than my previous buck. And uh, so – I mean, I the buck I ended up shooting scored. I think he scored one sixty five. That's awesome. Which isn't a, it's a nice mule deer. He's not oh, a huge, yeah. mule deer, but he had some inlines on both sides, which is very uncommon for a mule deer. And I just I couldn't pass him up. It was too. It was it was, it was just too ideal. I got the shot on on video and all that. I was solo by myself, and I still got it all on video. So That's so cool. It was just a perfect situation. So uh, this year I got another another uh, rifle buck tag for third season here in Colorado. So. Could be a really good tag. My wife has a the same buck tag I had last year, and she drew that this year. Oh, so very she has nice. a chance to kill a very nice buck this year. Uh, she's killed a nice buck before too, so I'm gonna make her hold out to you know get something nice. Um, yeah, I, to be honest, this last year, man, I like I said, I killed I've killed quite a few mule deer in my life, quite a few does, quite a few bucks. But this this last year, man, I I just got the bug so bad. Like that hunt that I did. It just, I don't know what it did. It just clicked something inside of me to where, like, now I'm just like, I got to go hunt mule deer every year. Like, That's I just so cool. got to do it. I got to do it. And so, I'm, I'm the next couple of years, I'm wanting to do a high country uh, mule deer hunt, spot and stock with my bow. Um, that's a super hard hunt, man. I mean, it's oh, like, yeah, I can't imagine. Brutal. And, but it's on my, it's on my to do list. And, uh, I, I got to do it here soon because, I don't know, I just got to experience that. It looks amazing. And so, I'm hoping to hoping to get that here in the next couple of years. Yeah, that's that's really awesome. Well, uh, I really want to get out and hunt mule deer at some point. My brother Jake is uh, heading up to North Dakota here very soon uh, with our good friend uh, Garrett Fike. As I've mentioned on the podcast before, they're going to North Dakota, and there they just have I think they call them any deer or either deer or something like that just a general deer tag where you can shoot either whitetail or or mule deer and i think they're both hoping for muleys um they're doing spot and stock archery with uh traditional equipment Uh, so they're they're really uh, getting hard after it but i think it's probably a little bit i don't want to say it's easier there because that would probably tick a lot of people off and you'd be like, you try it, you know, but, uh, you know, like get out, getting out into those grassland areas where you can kind of have more cover to sneak in as opposed to like the real rocky, you know, hard scrabble, uh, uh, terrain of Western Colorado where, you know, 
vegetation is a little more scrubby and not so uniform to hide under and crawl through and get into that archery range you know that's yeah. it's got to be a got to be a really tough hunt out there but uh so uh, the other one that I want to talk about, and this one I'm super interested in because I just did my first Western hunt this last spring, which was a bear hunt. I hunted a bear up in northwest Montana and uh, talk about a life-changing experience. I can't wait to go bear hunting again. Um, I guess I didn't really understand that. I don't know why I didn't think of it, but I never really considered Colorado as a black bear state, although I'm, you know. I, I I guess if somebody said do you do you think Colorado has black bears I would have said yeah they have black bears um, you just don't really ever hear of people going to Colorado you hear them going to Idaho you hear them going to um, Montana of course you hear them going to uh, uh, well it used to be Washington where that's kind of all up in the air right now um, and uh, other than that you probably mostly heard about people going up to Canada to hunt black bears for whatever reason um colorado doesn't get much mention for black bear hunting so what's the way people uh in your neck of the woods hunt them is it is it a baited deal or is it mostly spot and stock how do how do people get after bears in colorado well actually man there's so many stinging bears here it's unbelievable it's i mean it's it's insane there's there's way too many bears. It's, is it, it's, is it uh, pretty is it pretty easy access to get a tag there for bear? Oh hunting? yeah, you actually made it to where anybody out of state now can come to Colorado and get a bear tag for a hundred bucks. Wow, that's how many bears there are. It's uh, we we don't have a spring season, so that's that's probably why you don't see it as much. You don't hear oh, about. Okay, that because makes sense. You can't hunt them in the spring. There was a ballot initiative I think back in the '90s that that changed it. No no spring bear hunting. There are so many bears that we need a spring season badly, but the only way that that can be introduced is through another ballot initiative. And the problem with that is that on the front range of Colorado with Denver and yeah. Boulder and all those places, that'll never pass. You know, there's just right. too many liberal people that, that don't want that. So they've, yeah, they've lowered the price of a bear tag down to a hundred dollars. And I can, in the unit that I'm hunting bear, I can kill a bear and go get another tag. Wow. Because there's that many bears, and I mean it—it it really is a problem. I mean, I—it's getting to be where, like, anytime you go out in the woods, you're pretty much going to see a bear, like almost wow. every. And you know, where a lot of the elk hunting that I do, we're in thick scrub oak. We're in, you know, maybe we're sitting in a water hole, something like that. So, I mean, we're not necessarily spotting them from a long ways away. I, I'm kind of—I'm kind of where I'll get a bear tag, but I'm really until I fill my elk tag. I'm pretty much elk hunting. If I see a bear, I'll shoot it with my bow. But I'm trying to fill my elk tag first and foremost. Then right. once I, you know, if, if a bear comes out, of course I'll shoot it. But once I fill my elk tag, boom, then I switch to because bear bear season and elk and uh, and archery season for elk are the exact same. September second through the thirtieth. That's a good little tip there to somebody listening in. If you're going to go do a a uh, archery elk season out in Colorado, buy that bear tag. It sounds oh, like for a for a hundred bucks and for yeah. as many as of them as there are around, as Dave is describing. Man, I will definitely remember that. Oh yeah. So, and so I mean, it's it's kind of one of those things where you know once I kill an elk, then then I'll carry my rifle and you know I'll, I'll try to spot a bear. You know, there's lots of places you can go 
sit on a hill, watch a watch a scribble kill side that has some berries or some acorns or whatever, you're going to see a bear come out. I mean, it's it's just it's a given, pretty much, you know. Wow. Well, that sounds like that's where I need to go to uh, chase down my elusive bear. I uh, you talked about hitting your mule deer at 570 yards. I needed your accuracy when I did my bear hunt, David. I missed a bear at 350 yards yeah. uh, with my 30 out, and uh, it, it it killed me a little bit. But it was so hard to find bears up there that, yeah. like, just the fact that we we got to that point, and then. A few hours later, my hunting buddy, also from the Midwest, uh, he tagged his bear. So, uh, gotcha. you know, it's definitely a, 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 you know, a great touch on the on the trip. But it would have been nice to come home with two bears instead of just one. But uh, yeah, I, it's like it, it's it's not an obsession yet, but it's something I think about every single day that I I want to go tag a bear. So I might be I might be uh, knocking on your door here one of these days, David. Oh man, I got a good spot to take you. Oh, I'd love to, for sure. So that's a that's a fall only season. Do a lot of guys is it is Colorado a bait state or is it spot and stock only? Oh, no baiting, no baiting, no dogs, no nothing. That's yeah, and and you know I'm not going to say anything against those other methods for hunting, uh, uh, especially dogs. You know I think that I think anybody who's got the skills to train their their team of hounds to hunt something man let that person do it <laughs> that's pretty yeah. that's pretty that's pretty wild and uh with like as far as baiting you know i don't i don't think it's wrong or anything like that uh, i just prefer to do a spot and stock hunt myself so um i definitely would uh I, in fact from this point on i'm planning to come to colorado to hunt bears after hearing this i had no idea that it was uh that good of a place to hunt bears and that's a lot closer to, for me than uh, driving all the way up into, uh, you know, northwest Montana. Yeah. So, yeah, that's 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 really good to hear. That's encouraging. Well, man, all good things must come to an come to an end. We got to wrap this one up. Uh, but before we do, uh, there's one other thing that you like to do that I everyone who's listened to this podcast, by the way, this is probably going to be episode 96. Um, and if you've been listening along that long, uh, you know, I'm obsessed with shed hunting and, uh, <laughs> David is another shed head out there. Um, do you, what, what are you mostly going after? Just whatever you can find, or, uh, do you prefer mule deer or elk sheds? I think there's even some moose sheds in, uh, Colorado too, if you're real lucky, right? Yeah, I mean that's like needle in a haystack because I mean there's there's moose in Colorado but there ain't very many. But uh, I mean I really I mean I, I I'm I'm after elk sheds for the most part just because there's nothing like a big set of elk sheds. I mean I'm not trying to make money at it. I'm not you know some guys do it for a living and that's kind of what's taking shed hunting in the wrong direction. Yeah, because people do it for money. I just do it because I want to find cool stuff. You know I right. Uh, most of the time I just want to keep them and but. I'm mostly going after big elk sheds, which is getting to be very, very hard because of all the people doing it. Um, this year, I found more mule deer sheds than I've ever found in my life. I found a bunch of mule sheds this year, probably because of the country that I was shed hunting mostly. Um, but, uh, and I don't know, since since I found all those mule deer sheds this year, I kind of, I don't know, it's kind of, I kind of, it's for that, yeah. And so, I don't know, I mean, I, I just like finding anything, man. I mean, I don't. You know, I it's kind of bad. I I'm getting a bad taste in my mouth. Like you see these guys that do it 
professionally and you know and they find a a six-point elk shed that's maybe a little chalky or something you know and they'll bust it on a tree and like i'm like you know like to me it's almost like man that's wasteful because there's lots of guys out there and that would or young kids that would love to find that shed and take it home and keep it you know and i took a kid shed hunting for the first time this this spring and he found his first mule deer shed ever and I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't nice. It was old, but that yeah. kid was so excited and like, it was amazing, you know? And then I see these guys doing that and I'm just like, you know, I get it. You guys find a lot of sheds, but like, it, it, I don't know. It just, it kind of bothers me, you know? Like, yeah. it really no, does, it's, you know? it's painful to me too. In fact, I even yeah. wrote an article on the first gen hunter website. It's actually one of the most I bet I get at least two or three views on this article a week still. And I wrote it several years ago. I called it the chalk shed, uh, rehab project. And I had found this like nasty old here. I can show it to you. I got it right here. Found this nasty old, uh, shed and it's a whitetail shed. Yeah. I don't know how well you can see it, but uh, it was all bu- busted up, got hit by, ran over by a tractor, hit by the mower on the tractor. And, uh, you know, so the thing was like splintered. Big portion of it was just outright missing. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, it was a shed. And I picked it up and I gathered up the pieces that I could find. My wife gave me a really like dirty look and like, you're going to bring that into the house, you know? But, uh, it was like you said, like it was still at that point in my shed hunting career, I guess you could say I had not found all that many sheds. And so each and every one was like so special. And, uh, you know, fortunately, you know, since then I've been blessed with couple really nice years of finding sheds and and uh i still keep every shed that i find you know even the busted up ones because uh i don't know it's it's pretty special to come across something like that you're to be to lay your hands on something that no other human has ever encountered you know and and that that animal you put yourself in position to be right where that animal was at you know, that's, I don't know. I think that's, it's, it's a pretty cool thing. So yeah, I agree with you. Shed hunting is awesome. Um, it's, uh, some people dog shed hunting altogether. They say, Oh, it's nature's participation trophy or whatever. And to that, I, you know, I, I have all kinds of things I'd say, but it just makes me wonder. So what do you suggest that we do instead, you know, during this off season, do we just go sit and watch TV? Is that, is that a better way to like make us, uh, you know, a more suitable outdoorsman? Uh, I tend to think getting out there and figuring out what these animals are doing dur- throughout the year and who's, you know, who, which animals are still living in that area after a hunting yeah. season, you know, there's uh there's a lot of uh, uh, cool stuff to be gained from, from shed hunting for sure. So that's, uh, that's pretty cool. Well, Hey, how do people uh, follow along with David Rhodes on uh, social media? Okay. So on uh, Instagram, it's uh back roads, B A C K. R-H-O-D-E-S, double underscore, outdoors. There you go. Make sure you get that double underscore in there. Yeah, double underscore. And then on uh, my YouTube channel is uh, Backroads Outdoors. There you go. So head over to the YouTube channel as well. I imagine you probably have a link for that in your uh, profile on yep. Instagram. Yep. So, yeah, head over there. And uh, you got a pretty sweet hat on right now. I do. Can, can a guy order one of those if he wanted you to? No. He, uh, I'm, I'm working towards that. Um, 
I've I've got I've got the domain name and all that, man. But I just got to get more hats made. I it's been kind of a process trying to find something that I really like, and these ones I I absolutely really like them a lot. So um, I want to get more made and yeah, get a website up and running so people can start to purchase them. Well, let me know when you get one because I'll be buying one myself. They're pretty sweet. Great. So. But thanks so much, David, for coming on. Um, thanks for sharing some of your hunting stories and a little bit about how you, uh, you know, enjoy the, the outdoors. That's uh, uh, it's just so awesome getting to hear people's stories on that. And uh, to those of you listening in, make sure you don't forget about Alex Gruen. Alex can get you out west and hunting yourself, whether you're from there or not. And uh, whether your schedule is uh, limited because you live there or it's not because you'll be taking two weeks of vacation to get out there and tag an animal, you need to talk to Alex. Go to alexgruen.com. Don't forget about the promo code FIRSTGEN10 to save yourself 10% off that purchase. Every dollar counts when you're going on a hunting trip. And uh, you know what? Tell them I sent you. So talk to Alex. Get that dream hunt planned. Get out west and uh, go help take care of that surplus of bears like I plan to there in Colorado. And then, of course, the uh, presenting sponsor, the title sponsor for this podcast, good old Spartan Forge. Trying to nail down an interview with Bill, by the way. It's kind of tough right now. Bill's Bill's uh, um, up in a part of the country where it's very hard to get cell phone service and internet service and and uh so we're we're hammering out the details for that we're supposed to be recording actually later this week and uh super excited to get him back on but make sure that you uh if you haven't subscribed to spartan forge yet there isn't a better time than now uh, in fact, uh, if I mean, certainly you can subscribe whenever you want, but if you really want to get the best use out of that, you're going to do that now so you can start messing around with it, get yourself ready for the upcoming whitetail season, which is already upon some states. We'll make sure you check that out. Well, without anything uh, else to cover tonight, I want to thank you all for tuning in. Uh, it's always great getting to reach out to you. Make sure if you ever have any comments or anything, uh, get in touch with me. Love hearing from you. Until next time, take care and take someone hunting. <laughs>